Mindset Podcast, where we interview athletes, coaches, and executives in sport today. It is our goal to give you the behind-the-scenes stories of these incredible people's lives, careers, and more importantly, what it is that they do to get their heads set to perform. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Headset Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Galea, and I am so pumped to share with you uh, so many different things that we've got going on here at Headset Sports. Um, for those of you who may have been checking us out as of late, we've had some incredible people on our Instagram Live. Every Thursday, we have Instagram Live going on with Dr. Peter Papadogenis, uh, co-founder of Headset Sports. And um, some of the guests that we've had have been sharing some just incredible insight of what it means to, to be an athlete, an athletic director, coach, during these crazy times of what we're going through with, with COVID. But at the same time, I also want to share with you guys, you know, this. Every Thursday, Headset Sports is presenting an Instagram Live where we have coaches, athletes, athletic directors sharing some of the insights of what goes on in their sport, what goes on in their game, their team. And specifically now, what's been going on with their programs as, as they deal with getting back on the field, on the court, in the rink, whatever it may be. So if you get a chance, check us out on Instagram Live and listen to uh, some of the interviews that Dr. Peter Papadogenis puts together for us because they're really awesome. But at the same time, sorry for taking so long to get back to getting our latest pods up because over the past week and a half, we've had some incredible athletes and people in the sporting world at the pro level, international sport level, hop on and share with us their story of what it was like to be in action, now getting ready to jump back into action, and also what it's been like after their career. And um, it's really exciting to hear and see some of the incredible people that we have lined up to share with you right now. But today, we've got someone who's a complete rock star, both in and out of the pool. We have the one and only Amy Bilquist. Amy is a person who has just recently graduated from a little school called Cal Berkeley. Need some brains to get in there. But not only is she a rock star out of the pool with accumulating two, not one, but two athlete academic awards. 2018, she crushed it where she won both the Newfeld Scholar Athlete Award. She also won the Warren Hellman Scholastic Award. And while she was up there, they said, hey, listen, while you're up here, instead of bringing you up for a third time, we want something that we have here that we want to give to you. And it's called, um, yeah, the Kathy Wickstrand Leadership Award. So our girl hit the trifecta. And, and when she's in the pool, let me just tell you who she is. She is ranked in the top 10 in four, count them, four divisions of her sport. She's an absolute missile in the pool in the 50 meter, the 100 meter, the 100 back, and the 200 back. And oh, while she's out there, yeah, she's uh, a record holder for not one, but five school awards. And, you know, building up to this incredible career that she had at Cal, our girl was basically a four-time state champion in 50, two-time state champion in the 100 free, 
100 back state champion in 2012 and state runner-up in 2011. And, you know, in 2012, she was Division II Swimmer of the Year. Not too bad. Thanks for coming on out. Well, what she's going to be sharing with us is some of the ups and downs that she's had in and out of the pool as she's prepared for this little thing called the Olympics. And it's incredible to hear some of the stories that she has of adversity she's had to overcome to pursue her dream of being an Olympian. And um, I can only tell you this from everything she shared in terms of the stories of adversity that she's had to overcome, the growth she's had as an individual, I know that our girl is going to make it this time around. So without any further ado, I bring you the one, the only, Amy Bilquest, the missile in the pool. Right, everybody we have an incredible athlete with us today someone a little bit different from the norm we have a swimmer yes a swimmer we've talked to people who swim on ice we have people who have uh, jumped into big wave surfing but we've never had someone who's taken on the pool before so I'm so excited to have Olympic hopeful from Cal the one and only Amy Bilquis Amy, thank you so much for being here and talking to me today. I'm so happy to be able to like uh, make you red and embarrass you and, and ask you like, embarrassing things and almost, um, to be quite honest, have you educate us on, on your life and what you've got coming up because I know that you are actually training for 2021, correct? Yeah, yeah. And thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk with you as well. So. So, so let me ask you just like some stupid questions because I honestly, God, don't know this. Even though you and I were chewing the fat during the week and then we were chewing it up a few minutes ago. Um, how does it work now with this whole COVID thing happening? And mm -hmm. like, like do, do all the events have to, or people who are, who are hoping to go to 2020, do they all have to re-qualify? Is that how Yeah, so some... Yeah, so swimming's a little different than most Olympic sports, and our qualification meet for the Olympics is actually held pretty much right before you leave for the Olympics. So the Olympics tend to start at the very end of July, go into the beginning of August, and uh, U.S. Olympic swimming trials are the last week of June, first week of July time period. So it's really, if you make the team, you don't really go home. You just kind of get all your gear, head to training camp, and after training camp, go to maybe one more, and then you're at the, you're at the venue for the Olympic Games. So no one it, for pool swimming has qualified for the Olympic Games for 2021, so that's still all up in the air. The only event that has qualified and their positions are being held is the um, open water events. So open water events would be considered what? All of the different freestyle, breaststroke, backstroke, everything? No, open water is like you're not in a pool. So you're oh, either in the ocean, a lake. It's like a 5K, 10K. Got yeah. it. Got it, got it, got it. But you are specializing in four events, right? You, you, you help records at Cal for the 50 free, the 100 free, the 100 back, and the 200 back. So yes. those are your fantastic four events. Yeah, you, uh, those are my babies. Those are your babies. So, so let me ask you about your babies. Will you be trying out for all four babies, or how does it, how does this work? 
Yeah, so um, this will actually be my third Olympic trials. My first one was when I was 14 years old. Second one was when I was 18. And um, that was back in 2016 when I was 18. And I went in, entered in the 50, 100, 200 free, 100, 200 backstroke. And once I got to the meet, the 100 back was my first event. And I could just really feel my backstroke lighting up and decided to scratch all my freestyle events and just go in on the 100 and 200 back and ended up barely missing the team in both. So uh, this time around, no matter how good my backstroke's feeling, I'm going to try to probably do the freestyles just to have that, um, just to have that extra shot. You know, I don't want to get all the way there and just limit myself. But um, I think I made the right decision in 2016 with where I was at. But in, in 2020, I'll probably swim everything I'm entered in. Wow. So, so educate me and, and people who are listening. When, when, when you go to something like this mm-hmm. and, and you're jumping in the pool, and, and you're trying to qualify, we see these things on TV, and I mm-hmm. honestly believe that, that I'm not the only moron on the planet, um, but we see things like, like prelims, and then we see quarterfinals, finals. How many races would you compete in in just one event? Yeah, um, so my events have a prelims, semis, and a finals. So in order to make the team, you'd have to swim that event three times. Um, so prelims is basically everyone. So it, typically each event has anywhere from 140 to 180 people. And then semis cuts it down to 16, finals cuts it down to eight. And then in most events, it's the top two that makes the team. In the 100 and 200 freestyle, it's the top six. So you can get those relay spots filled. Okay, so then you, you slide into the relays. So, so doing some simple basic math here, because um, that's about all I can handle. You're telling me that you will, if, if, if everything goes the way that you've trained it to be and I have in my head and my heart, it's going to work out great for you, knock on wood. You're going to swim 12 races, four events, three race. Yeah, I mean, in 2016, when I only did two events, it was six races. Um, so, yeah, it's a lot. Um, it's over anywhere from a seven to nine day period. Um, but prelims and semis are always on the same day. And then finals is the next night. But that doesn't mean that you don't have a prelims and a semis of another event the next day. So the schedule is quite hectic. And you really have to, like, plan out your meet before you go there and how you would strategize those races because say if you have a final that night that you really think you're going to make the team can you give it your all in the semi or can you pull a little back and still make a final so it's it's quite a um, chess game kind of if you're a multiple event type of swimmer so the the games the gamesmanship that you've got to incorporate when you're doing this is tremendous right you're a poker player is what it's, mm-hmm. it feels like. And, and I never really, like, it, it makes sense, everything you're seeing, but to actually have to play that hand, oh, my God. How good are Gamble. you? Gamble. Yeah, I'm, I'm so not playing Texas Hold'em with you. Like, it's just not, yeah. I lose my socks. But, but, but let me ask you this, like, like, because this is fascinating, and, and one of the things I love about doing these, these pods I never know how these things are going to go. I used to have this little script, and we're going to talk about this, we're going to talk about that. And, and you know what? I, after finding out just a little tidbit here and there, I never know how these are going to go. And I'm fascinated now to ask you this. You went to your first Olympic 
trials at 14. Yeah. Would you even play poker at that time? <laughs> no, I, no, it's actually really funny. I, um, so when I was 13, I mean, I was always a pretty good swimmer, but when I was 13, it was kind of, I was kind of getting close to those Olympic trial cuts and I was super excited and I ended up um, getting my first trials cut. Um, I think it was December or January when I was 14, so that same year, and in the 200 back in a race that I shouldn't have even been in the finals. I got scratched in as an alternate. A girl didn't show up for some reason and just had like a crazy out of my mind swim. And that night was so excited, ate an entire pizza by myself, had to go back to the meet the next day, swam terribly. So I don't recommend <laughs> after you get an Olympic trials cut to not warm down and eat a whole pizza and then try to swim the next day. I uh, learned that. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, learned that the hard way. Um, but then right after that, I um, I ended up breaking a rib and um, having to do some like water aerobics for a little bit in the pool to try to stay in shape because doing a flip turn with a broken rib is probably top 10 most painful things I've ever had to deal with. So it was kind of just wearing those like water aerobic belts that you always see like the old ladies wearing in the pool. And those are actually so tough. So I got to work out in like that for um, a month or two and then ended up coming back and get getting two more Olympic trials cuts right before the meet in the 100 back in 53. So I swam three events when I was 14 at Olympic trials and then uh, qualified for five events when I was 18. And then, yeah, so 2020, we'll, I'll probably go and be entered in four or five again. Oh, my. Okay. So you, you, you have to understand how the Italian thinks right now, right? The time you say, I ate a whole pizza and not too far afterwards, I broke a rib, right? So <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of uh, Papa John's that you, you put away there. Yeah. yeah. How, how did you break a rib? Not swimming. No, 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 no. It was, you know, I was a freshman in high school and we had a theater class and I was just like messing around with one of the guys. I always kind of like hung out with the guys and um, we had those chairs like you would have in a movie theater that flip up and down. Um, there was one that was broken down and the guy kind of shoved me. I lost my balance, fell, my hand hit the backside of it. So when I was falling, it flipped up and hit my rib, like just right at the point and just right this like straight on broke the rib and I couldn't like breathe I stayed in school the rest of the day I couldn't really breathe I was like I just don't feel right try to go to practice I mean I didn't end up getting an x-ray for like three or four more days just try to like see if I bruised it try to play it off I didn't it was so close to Olympic trials that I didn't want to actually believe it um but yeah I ended up breaking a rib <laughs> oh my god just yeah. just so that you know right I, I'm now gonna have it tattooed on my brain every time i go to a baseball game football game hockey game movie and the chair flips up yeah i'm gonna be, be careful amy i did it amy those are so scary when i see like little kids walking across them i'm like be careful <laughs> you could break a rib <laughs> yeah oh my god okay so like i, I just gotta tell you um i i swim like a brick so I have the most utmost respect for what you do. I really do. And, and you know, uh, for those who are going to be listening to this, before we started chopping it up here, I was saying to Amy how I ran into an old friend today um, who, who ever since I met the guy, you know, we've known each other for about 20 years, he tells me, you know, hey, let me tell you the story of when I used to swim in high school and I was in Chicago and swim at 5 in the morning and I – dove into the 
thin layer of ice and then the water. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. It's like the fish story. And it wasn't until you talking to me today that this guy's story even has could be validated, totally validated. So when you hear this, never going to hear the end of it. Um, but then for those of you who don't know, Amy fills me in today that she says, I never dove into ice, but I dove off of ice. And I'm like, what? Like, you swam in the Arctic? Like, how did that work? <laughs> and she says, no, it was so cold in the places I trained that the, the, the podium, right? Or, or the block. The block. The yeah. block of ice. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean... <laughs> Where did you grow up? Like, were you like from Canada, like me, or like how did? You- <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, Arizona. So one of the hottest places you can think of in the winter gets pretty cold, and then you're at a swim meet and people are swimming. So as they're swimming, they're flipping water up onto the block, and it's so cold. I mean, it's under thirty at these meets sometimes that the water just is turning to ice. So before you get up on the block, you have to make sure to chip some of the ice off because not. Because one, it's freezing, and two, it's slippery. So if you get on a block with a lot of ice, you're probably going to slip, um, and that's just not going to be great getting into the water that way. So, I mean, yeah, growing up, we were chipping ice off blocks, pouring hot water on it, hot chocolate even sometimes, you know, just to, like, warm up the block, and then eventually they allowed us to, like, start laying towels on top of it. This is barbaric. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to let you know now. This is barbaric. So I'll tell you what a wuss I have become, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I grew up in, in, in Toronto, Canada, and we used to have so much snow back in the day, just to give you an idea of what a whip I am now. We used to have in grades four, five, and six, I'll never forget this, four, five, and six, we would have uh, assemblies. Now, you know, we're all going down the gym, right? And we would have these things called snow days. And snow days were days where the police and the firemen would come in to talk to us about the dangers of tunneling. Tunneling is, and a lot of the, the subdivisions in the homes that, that I grew up in and my friends grew up in, you'd have these awnings and the awnings would cover your back porch and you could go barbecue on Christmas Day right, and get the snow off. Mm-hmm. And what would happen is, with the awning being the way that it, it, these were all set up, hundred years ago, you'd get this wall of snow. So what did we do as kids? We would dive in the snow and we would tunnel like little golfers, right? Oh my gosh. And and what would end up happening essentially is every couple of years the kid would pass away. Because he or she would tunnel and you'd play like tag as you're tunneling and the top of the snow would cave in. And no. So we would have these things called snow days where they would come in and say, okay, kids, you can't be tunneling, and tunneling is not good, right? Skate on the ice, don't play underneath it, all these different things that would tell us, right? But the bottom line was you grew up in cold. Right. Now, I go home to visit my family, and a little fleck of snow crosses my toe, and I'm like, you guys are savages. How do you look at this? It was nice knowing you. Goodbye. We'll zoom. We'll zoom. I'm going back. You guys are absolute savages. So, so to hear you talk about having to put on a, a swimsuit and, and go through what, what I'm whining about, and I'm wearing jeans, a sweatshirt, shoes. Like I feel like such a woman. 
So, so let me ask you this here. When was the first time you got thrown in the pool? How, how young were you when you started this crazy adventure? Oh, so we moved to Arizona um, right before my third birthday. And in our backyard, we had a pool with no fence. So basically, since I was three years old, my mom would take me in the pool every day, bounce me around, get me super comfortable with it. And by the time I was four, I was in a summer league. By the time I was six, I was on a club team. So once they put me in the water, like that's the only place I wanted to be. So I, I started really, really young. Um, but uh, that was also nice. I I came into swimming because I loved it and wanted to be in the water and like that's held um, true to this day. You know, sometimes I don't always want to go practice, but once I'm in the water, it's just like so calming and it's like the place where I just like feel my best. It's, it's, it's interesting when, when athletes find that, that, that zone, right? Where it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, 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 we think of zone as, as the spot where we are and everything's quiet and we're focused and, and we're at our best. But then there's also, I look at this zone, which is more like a home, where you just feel so comfortable. Right. You just feel so comfortable. Like, I was talking to a guy this morning um, from Montreal, and he was telling me how his entire life he spent telling his family, I'm going to the hockey rink. And everyone knew, like, that's just where you went. And, and he and I were reminiscing today where we were saying that from the age of 15 till literally – Today, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 45. Um, I don't think I've been away from an ice arena for more than three days straight. Wow. From the age of 15 to now, 30 years, for 30 years, I average no more than three days consecutively where I'm not an ice arena in some way, shape, or form, whether it's coaching or, or whatever, running a, a program. and, and to me, that's like a second home. And, and to hear you describe the same thing, it, it's, it's incredible like, like how that just became who you are. Now, are, are mom and dad swimmers? Um, mom is anything but a swimmer. <laughs> um, yeah, no, doesn't swim at all. Um, so our backyard pool like, was standing level, so she would stand and bounce me. My dad um, was a swimmer and water polo player, so that's kind of how – they all were back in the day though. Like if you were a water polo player, they made you swim to stay in shape. And then you found out you were good at swimming too. So you did both. Um, but no, yeah, I definitely got the aquatic genes from my dad. <laughs> now, if I understand correctly, dad uh, didn't just swim. Dad uh, swam and threw a ball for some, you know, public school with mediocre education behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Princeton, so shabby. You know, go Tigers or something like yeah, that. I, it, it, I think that's where Joe Exotic went to school. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. He I, actually um, trains that mascot, I think. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I can only imagine what, 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 what growing up with, with a tiger in your life was like. Dad super supportive? Oh, so, so supportive. I mean, it's... It's always kind of nice um, when you have like something to share with a parent like that. So my dad and I could just always connect on swimming. Like I would go home and be like, oh, today was so hard. And he'd be like, what was the set? And then understand it. And where my mom's like, oh, okay. Like she tries her best to understand it. Like she really does. She's awesome. But it's just like he just gets it because he did it. And um, 
you know, he like he knows how frustrating of a sport swimming can be and how much work you put in for such little results sometimes or no results sometimes. So um, that's also been really nice because I think, unfortunately, with some swimming parents who didn't swim, they're like, why aren't you dropping time? Why aren't you dropping time when swimming is not always like that? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, seeing your face and hearing the words that, that you're sharing to describe your, 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 your parents, it reminds me of a, of a slap in the head that I received from my mother a hundred years ago. And um, I, I never got the, the, the text or the email or the phone call that my mom had figured it out. And uh, I remember being in the backseat of, of uh, the car. My dad was driving us home and I had a teammate with me in the back and we, we had just finished a game and I totally stunk up the joint. And um, we lost. And I'm saying to him, watch this, watch this. And I'm egging my mom on. And I'm like, so, Ma, tell me, how do you think of play, right? And I'm just egging my buddy on, watch this, watch this. And she's like, oh, honey, you know, you guys did really well. And I thought you guys tried hard. And, you know, it just, it just didn't work out. But, you know, Ma, how did I play? And she looked at me and she said, uh, you know, you, you did well. You made some, some really good plays. And, um, you know, you, you tried hard. It was a good effort there, right? And at this time, I could see my dad looking in the rearview mirror as he's smoking a cigarette, and he's like, you're, you're playing with fire, you idiot, right? So sure enough, I go in for my third kill, right? And I say, Ma, so what did you think about just, you know, my all-around performance? Anybody saying anything up in the stands, you know, about how well I played? And all of a sudden, boom. She says, okay, you want to know the truth? Here's the truth. The first two goals that got scored on you were completely your fault, and everybody knew about it. And the way that you played today was quite embarrassing because your all-around energy level really wasn't there. And when pucks were hitting you in the face, I really felt embarrassed for you. But that last goal that went in, I don't know if you know, but that kid, he hasn't scored a goal all year. Oh, <laughs> yeah, she went in. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I just sat there, and I took more bullets than Tony Montana, like in the last scene of Scarface. <laughs> And it was like, when the hell did you figure this out? Like, like when did you know, right? And, you know, the next morning I remember getting up and going downstairs for breakfast or whatever and, and totally seeing my mom having her coffee in the morning with this smirk on, right? And <laughs> She knew what she did. <laughs> oh, she set me up like a cheap tent to fall. Like, it was brutal. And uh, my dad just couldn't take it. He's like, so, got any more questions for your mom? <laughs> and I'm like, whatever. <laughs> you guys are the worst. I don't want you taking me anywhere, right? Like, and, yeah. and, you know, my mom then turned around and said, listen, you know, all these years I've watched you practice and I've watched you play. You think I'm just sitting there, like, knitting a sweater, right? I, I'm getting it. Yeah. And from that mm -hmm. moment on, the depth of the conversations we had were just incredible. You right. Know, like, like I, I didn't really feel like I had to punch in anymore. It was like I could just talk to them. Yeah. You know, I could use the locker room lingo and they knew, you know? Yeah. That's so, such a good feeling. Oh, it is, right? Like, it, it is. Like, I got to ask you, like, do you have other athletes in your family? Um, my brother and my sister played like high school and club sports, um, but neither of them went to play like collegially or professionally. So, so you, you're kind of like me, I'm assuming. I have this one uncle. He sits at the head of the table at the kids' table, 
every Christmas. And everyone would sit in the exact same spot every year. It didn't matter, right? Then it got to the point where the kids' table is, is the table because there's not enough room at the big table, right? Right. And on that table of cousins was the geek, the freak, the smart one, the one who's, you know, going to jail for sure. This one is going to make a documentary. This one's going to be a bajillionaire. This one, we'll be happy if he makes it to, to 20. And, and then there was the jock, right? Mm-hmm. And we would laugh as we got older. Yeah, you'd go down, you'd go down the aisle and ask everybody, so I was a school. How do you do a school? Right? You're the smart one. How's school? Oh, okay, good school. Yeah. Hey, you. You get in trouble again. You go to the cops. You, I know you. <laughs> and I remember yeah. having the conversation with him my, 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 my first Christmas of no longer playing competitive sports and and it, it it really shook the room a little bit because when he asked me so how's the team that was his life so how's the team how's the team right and i told him well, i'm not playing anymore um i remember him busting out in italian saying well i guess i don't have anything to talk to him about oh. and it just crushed me right like it was like yeah. I'm, I'm the dumb job right so, like, like, I wonder for you and your family, like, what that conversation is like. And, 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 and yeah. how, what's the support like? And, and, and what's the fam like when Amy does what she does and puts it all out there now? Yeah. Um, so, my mom's one of eight. So, I have 26 cousins, and they're all on my mom's side. Um, oh. Yeah. So, I mean, there was, of course, like, a couple athletes here and there on that side. Um, I had one cousin who was like uh, really good at running. She ran at uh, Vanderbilt, but she never like went professional or anything. But um, so I think she and I were the only collegiate athletes in the family. Um, but obviously like our cousins are quite a wide range of age at this point. I think the oldest is in the forties, the youngest just turned 21. So there's like two decades between us all. But um yeah, when we're together, it's uh, always my aunts and uncles. They're just like, how's the swimming? How's the swimming? And that's so nice because they're taking interest of it. And a lot of them go to my swim meets. Like I've, I had a couple go to NCAAs over the year, a couple go to Olympic trials. Like it means a lot to me that my family supports me in that way. And I, I think I preemptively have always been worried about people only thinking of me as Amy the swimmer. So in college, I really, really tried to get my grades up and ended up having a really successful, like, uh, collegiate like scholar um, reputation as well so that was nice that opened other doors to talk about too so I wasn't considered like the dumb jock um, I uh, had like other avenues and things I was getting into so there could be more conversation but yeah it's always kind of directed towards the swimming at first and with my career probably um, coming to its end sooner rather than later it's uh, it's kind of a weird feeling to be like when I go to those gatherings like what are they going to ask me now? Like, am I still swimming? Do I swim on my off time? Like, yeah. how are you still swimming? I think, but I mean, I feel like we all go to that in some degree, you know, like I have a lawyer uh, cousin. I was like, so like, how's law? <laughs> you know, <it's>, <laughs> you haven't like seen each other in a while. It's just kind of what you go to. So um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, it, it's, it's, it's interesting, but in my own family, like my nuclear family, like my mom, dad, brother, and sister, it's, uh, there's a lot more to talk about, you know, and um, I just adopted a cat. So that's like a majority of our conversation on a, a lot, which is really fun. And uh, yeah, there's just, I'm lucky to have 
other avenues to talk about. And to be honest, I'm not the biggest at talking about myself with my family. I like listening to what they have going on. So I don't always have to talk about swimming, which is nice. Yeah, we have a lot in common. But, you know, so I'm going to try and embarrass you a little bit more now. Oh, gosh. I get paid the big bucks for here, as you can tell. Um, so, so you, my little kitty cat, um, earned a little, little award called the Newfeld, Newfeld, Newfeld yeah. dollar. And then you also, uh, accumulated a couple of other little goodies like the Warren Hellman and, and the Kathy, uh, Swickland or Wick, or Wickstrand? Wickstrand, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the first two are for academics. So. Yes. Our little fish is doing calculations while she's in the pond. Is what it sounds like. <laughs> so I, I gotta ask you, what what did your little brain focus on while you were at? Yeah. Um, I was a media studies major, um, and I focused a lot on like film and marketing and just different ways to advertise. A lot of visual advertisement, um, and definitely also social media and just just basically different ways of communication that are now virtual that used to be like in person one-on-one especially now with this all going on it's it's, oh, it's yeah. crazy because we we saw a lot of the predictions we were talking about in this future world that we might be communicating like this and little did i know literally 12 months later we would kind of be communicating in this the setting that we thought was decades off at that time and um yeah so i studied media studies which um you know I was, I was always a good student, cared about my grades. My parents were very um, much pushing my grades. If I wasn't getting good grades, I wasn't allowed to go to swim practice. So it was kind mm-hmm. of always had to do both, which I think was a good strategy on their part. And when I got to college, um, it really was true. Like, I think it, the stereotypical, well, you're going to like school when you find something you like to study. Um, but it was, that was really the case for me. Once I took that intro class to media studies, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I want to do these readings. I want to study these videos. I want to take an entire class on Game of Thrones and break it down by power wait, wait, dynamics. Wait, 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 wait. Stop the music here. Okay, wait a minute. What? You had yeah, so I, Game of Thrones? Is that how I heard this? Is that how I heard this? Uh, 110%. It was a film class at Berkeley <laughs> over the summer that I took. Okay, this is complete garbage that you went to a school <laughs> that prestigious and you studied Game of Thrones because literally... I could teach a class then. I want to know who your professors are because I could teach the class in Game of Thrones. <laughs> so, well, Berkeley's <laughs> interesting because we have some classes where they are taught by students and they're called decals, but this was a, like a legitimate class that you earned the full four units for everything. And it, it was a summer class. And what we did during it is we watched it only season seven had come out. So the last season, which I don't, I don't like that much, hasn't, hadn't come out yet. So we had watched, season one through season seven entirely throughout this course of this class. And we were basically, I can tell you a lot of things about Game of Thrones. I can tell you a lot of things about the camera angles and how they used it, the power dynamics. I mean, we broke down Game of Thrones. So it was interesting now watching TV, I can pick up on a lot more of like the foreshadowing in the future or why they're like putting this in the scene. And like, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And as much as it sounds kind of like a throwaway class, it, it was one of the classes I learned the most in because one, I was super interested in the topic. And then two, it was, um, it, there was just a lot to learn from a show like that. That was kind of like the first of its kind. So I gotta, I gotta ask right now, like who do you identify as your favorite character? In Game uh, of- you know, 
Sansa and I like kind of went back and forth. Like I really respect like the family loyalty. Mm-hmm. However, I do think she was shady about some stuff. Oh, um, shady is so shady. And I think like the easy answer is like Jon Snow, but he were, he really wasn't my favorite. And I did like Daenerys and um, you know, I don't, there was just a lot of characters I really liked and a lot of characters I did not like. And I think the writers did an amazing job at developing so many characters in such depth. Um, I, didn't, I don't think you find that in that many shows now. So. Okay. So I got to ask, did you like the ending? No. Uh, of course no. not, right? Of course not. Yeah. John got screwed on that. Let me just tell you right now. Whatever yeah. you think, and I'm sure you're going to have some philosophical stuff that you can teach me off this show, but how that guy goes from the penthouse to the outhouse, mm-hmm. and he saved the world. I don't understand this. I don't understand this. Yeah. I, I kind of saw the little brother. I, I kind of saw that storyline building. Like, they wouldn't have given him so much airtime as a three-eyed raven unless, like, it was gonna, something was going to happen, but... They screwed Jon Snow, but they really screwed Daenerys. Like, I know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't both survive, but that was just, like, not the way she would have really gone out, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm with you. I, I just don't know how you go from killing a White Walker to, to you're now banished to the Barren Wasteland. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand how that goes. Exactly. And the guy's just way too good looking to, <laughs> to the all male like death camp. I don't I don't I don't get this. I don't well, get this. you know Tormund from that death camp? Mm-hmm. Um the big one, my brother and him could be doppelgangers. Uh, so it was crazy watching that show. I was like, that literally looks like my brother. My brother bought a shirt with Tormund's face on it and wore it around and like they look identical. My brother's Super big, looks kind of like a Viking, like strawberry blonde hair, big ginger beard, has a ponytail. Like they, it was so trippy watching that show and being like, Brian. <laughs> so, like, what a kick-ass career that guy has had from that show, right? Like, oh my gosh, how amazing are you from going from from Land of the Big People in Game of Thrones to like you're now Fast and Furious? Like, how does that happen? Yeah, right. Yeah. Your brother's talented. He's a cool guy. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Your brother's talented. Let me tell you. Oh, my God. So, so okay, I, I got to try and get serious now, right? Because th- this is ridiculous. Like you, you are one of those people that, like, I could see us getting in the car in, like, California, and we blink, and we're in New York. And it would be all your fault. <laughs> it would be all your fault, just so you know. It's always my um, fault. It's always my totally. fault. Um, <laughs> so, so, one of the questions I asked you a little bit earlier was, we were talking about the ability to be gamesmanshipy uh, playing poker when when did you start falling into your own to start playing those head games as a swimmer when did you start kind of leading a little fish out there for your competition yeah you know pretty young uh really young i had a i had an amazing age group coach who just um recently recently passed away his name was ryan kent and he was just like he was that like the epitome of coaches where they're yelling at you. They're in there in your face, but like love you so much. And like adamantly told you like how proud they were. Like he was the perfect balance of like motivating you and then telling you how proud he was of you. Like it would, I was just so, so lucky. And 
he was also just like a great swimming coach taught me a lot but it was so funny we'd be at practices and just like as a seven-year-old my butt's just being kicked out there you know and um I was just like complaining like I don't want to do it he's like suck it up like suck it up and it eventually just shortened to SIU SIU and anytime it's been like hard in my life SIU suck it up suck it up like you got this and um it's funny I remember after a race I was so taxed and got out and just kind of was like sitting on the deck when I was probably like eight or nine like super tired and I walked over there he's like great race if you ever get out of the pool like that again like you're doing like a punishment set and I was like I like just put it all and he's like I don't care if you feel like you're dying after a race you get out like that race was not hard because you're showing your competitors how weak you are if you do that so I think I've kept that tactic to always be like was that my all? Do you know if that was my all? Like I'm getting out like this wasn't a big deal, you know? So, you know, I'm giving it my all every time, (laughs) but you know, I was taught at a young age to hop out of the pool. Like, was that my all? Like, did I beat you and not try that hard? You know? So it was, it was all kind of like small mind games, but at the end of the race, um, just to kind of like, and at the same time with me too, you know, after a race that you feel so tired, but to collect myself and be like, pretend like it's not hard. It's been a lot easier for me to do back to back races because I'm just kind of convincing myself, you know, that wasn't that hard. Even if in the middle of the race, I'm like, I think I am on the verge of death. You know, like it's just kind of telling yourself that like, it, it wasn't that bad. Like, let's get up, go to the next one. Like you can do this again type of mentality. You, you not only embody everything of a champion, but you so embody everything of a character in game of thrones season finale episodes <laughs> all right <laughs> really dead <laughs> there's no yeah. way coming back from that there's no way but you really you are you're totally okay like you're having pizza in the back oh my yeah. god oh my i you know like but you know it, it, god bless your coach and and the way that that you know he presented that to you because i mean that's that that's something that you just can't make up that that that's something that you just i I don't believe you can just teach that i I think that that's a skill that you've embodied from such a powerful lesson that you've been able to transform that into a tool and i just think that's phenomenal like god bless him for what he passed on to you but like kudos to you for being able to take that widget of information that he gave you whether it was he put in you out of like the fear of God, oh my God. But to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to use that widget to play a little poker with my competition. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good stuff, eh? Yeah. Like, and I mean, it's carried out outside of the pool as well. You know, like if I like just gave an, I don't know, like anything, I just gave a written test to the professor, just like walk out confident, you know, and just kind of like, fake it till you make it type of deal. And then it kind of, you get it on the front half as well. So it's just kind of having that confidence in yourself. I feel like that was like the deep down lesson of it all. And just kind of always carrying yourself like, yeah, I'm confident I've got this. And, you know, even at the end of the race, it's really carried on in the other aspects of my life. And I was just, I'm just so thankful he's taught me that lesson. I've been able to carry it on. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm giving you long distance hugs. That's what this is. (laughs) Because, you're not just sharing stories, which is what this is all about, but you are giving so many amazing nuggets here. Like you are truly encapsulating the reason of why we go all out in everything we do. And, mm-hmm. and, and 
the why behind the why, which is not only are we doing this to improve ourselves, not only are we doing this to maintain a certain level of expectation and standard. Like I, I like to refer to those things as standards because an expectation in my mind when I work with people, it kind of gives that, that opportunity for you to sink a little bit and it's okay because I kind of expected something more, but I really didn't hold myself to it. Whereas a standard is, is something that you just say, that's just how it is here. Like right. it's just a hundred miles an hour, whatever we do, whether right. it, it's walking to the pool, swimming in the pool, or I don't know, jumping out and eating pizza afterwards. We just go hundred miles an hour. This is what we do. Right. Right. Because I think that that ability to live like that is what really is the intimidation that one propels or exhumes, um, embodies when they put it onto their competition, right? And, and, and again, here comes the Italian in me, right? Because, you know, the, the greatest movies ever made were all by Italians, just in case you didn't know that. It's a trivia fact. You oh, okay. On Wikipedia, they'll tell you, it'll back it up. And <laughs> it, it's on every different type of, of uh, trivia that's out there right now. But the reality of it is, again, Rocky, quintessential movie for every athlete, you get into a scenario where, where in Rocky Four, which probably was the worst movie ever made, um, the Russian says, he's like a piece of iron. He's like a piece of iron. He won't break, right? And, and when you think about that, just metaphorically, in terms of what you're describing, of that gamesmanship that you were taught, it's not so much I'm not going to break. I'm just not going to give up. Right. I'm just not going to give yeah. up. And, yeah, that's the truth. And I wonder, I wonder, like, like, is that something that you noticed that was put inside of you, was always inside of you, had to be coached inside of you? Like, oh, because that's something. I, I, don't, I don't even know what to call that. And I feel mm-hmm. like maybe I should know what to call it, but I, I don't know what to call that. But you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think... I think I was really lucky as a young girl to not be afraid of that and to like go after competition and be told that's okay and to fight for what you want and to stand up for yourself and go after what you want and like audibly say it, like put it out in the world and not be afraid to chase that dream. And I, I, I feel so bad that a lot of young girls are kind of told like, oh, being like competitive, no, 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 or stuff like that. I was always told like, go after it, like beat those boys, you know, like you fall down, you stand right back up. And I think in my career, I have fallen down so many times, um, especially for a swimmer. I can't even tell you how many bones I've broken. Like in the past six years, a foot, a a hand, 15 stress fractures in my legs, just had a knee surgery in the past six years. So I've been knocked down so many times, but it's kind of that same thing where it's like, I haven't stopped chasing that dream. Like I've had a, extreme obstacle course to even keep chasing this dream but you know I'm not there I haven't finished what I've started and I've just been lucky to have the support system around me to allow me to keep doing that and to support me when I'm down and I feel like I can't always stand up on my by myself but I think especially I think back to now like since Ryan's passed and I've I've had injuries since he's passed and it, it was interesting I actually broke my foot and called him the next day wanted to talk to him about it and then the day after that is when I found out he passed and I had just really wanted to talk to him it was my senior year of college like NCs was in a couple of months I was just freaking out and 
just kind of wanted to call him and be like, why does this always happen to me? Like, I'm trying so hard. I just want to make this happen. Why do these things keep happening? And when he, I honestly knew when he didn't pick up that phone call and didn't call me back the next day, I knew something was up. And when I got that call that um, told me he passed, I like literally heard everything he had said in my head over the past. Like when I worked with him for seven years, everything in the head, like you are fine. It's a broken foot, push through it, get in the water and pull like in the most like loving ways. Like that sounds really harsh, but he would always say it. And then at the end when I'm like super tired and frustrated, he'd be like, you know what? I'm proud of you. Like, let that go. Tomorrow's a new day. Let's get back after it. And it's kind of, I've just had that, I think, playing in the back of my mind this whole time. And even when I've called people for advice, like I listen to what they're saying, but that's always been drilled in my mind, you know, get back up. Tomorrow's a new day. Like, it's not always going to suck like this, you know, keep going, keep going. So I do think it's been something that was always inside of me. However, I was coached to be able to do it. You know, I think we all have that inside of us, that ability to like, stand up when it's tough, get back up on our feet. But sometimes we're not always supportive in that. And sometimes we're not always told when we're young that that's okay. So I think it kind of gets dim. Whereas I've been lucky enough to like have that strong light inside of me. So, so you epitomize like everything in the greatest movie ever made, which <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm filling you in because I know that you're into movies and you're this media buff person. But, you know, as everyone knows, the greatest movie ever made that involves action, sports, love, drama, a little bit of thriller and excitement is Rocky Three. And uh, in that movie, right, there comes this scene where the, the, the father figure in his life passes away. And as he's passing away before the big fight... He, he, he looks at his wife, Rocky, and he says, you know, I can't go out there without him. And, and he looks over and he says to his wife, as he's just about to go in the ring to fight Mr. T, and he says, what do I do? And, and this father figure, coach, trainer, who's everything to him, grabs him and with his dying breath, he says, how could you say that? After everything we've been through, after everything that I've taught you, after all the times you've fallen down and gotten back up, mm -hmm. I can't believe I need to tell you to pick yourself up, right? And, and it's, 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 it's incredible because what I hear from you is something that I talk to parents about a lot. And, and, and to not go off on too much of a tangent here, but I often find myself having to explain to parents the importance of letting their young athlete fall down. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the more that they can fall down at an early age and get used to picking themselves back up, picking themselves mm -hmm. back up, that's the gift. That's the gift, right? Whether it's you're building resilience, you're building strength, you're building you know, fortitude, whether you're building just an all-around mindset like, oh, I'm, I'm used to falling down. I just pick myself up and I keep going. What a gift. Yeah. What a gift that is, right? And, and it transcends into so many different things. Like I oh, yeah. had a trainer in college, he'd say, you know, listen, you bunch of fat blanks. <laughs> For those of you who tell me you can't go get a gym membership or you have no one to go work out with or you don't know what to do when you're at the off season, here's something simple. Just fall to the ground 100 times and pick yourself back up. 
And I've had that echoing in my head for about 20 years. Last week, a trainer friend of mine in Canada sends me this article where all these, you know, uh, kinesiologists slash experts in physical training and blah, 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 all got together and decided with all of these algorithms and measurements and whatnot that do you know what the best exercise is for an athlete? Do you know? What is it? The burpee? A burpee. <laughs> and it relates to everything you're talking about. It relates yeah. to everything that I'm echoing from, from your, your sediments. It's mm -hmm. falling down and getting back up. That's a, that's a burpee. If, unless you want to get fancy and throw a little jump into it at the end, right? It's, it's a burpee. Life's a burpee, right? And, and can you handle that? So, like, I think of some of the things that you've listed that you've overcome. Oh, my God, Amy. I mean, what an amazing story you're going to have to pass on to people. So, like, you know, after you, you go out and you make it, it's going to be incredible to see how you uh, – take your media skills and, and uh, create your, your life story as an athlete. I'll be wondering yeah. what angle is she taking? Why is she taking this angle? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, um, it's interesting. It, I was um, on an interview a couple, couple months ago, like right after my knee surgery with uh, a reporter from Swimming World. And he and I have like grown because he's like interviewed me a billion times over the past couple of years. And um, it, it was funny. He was, we were talking and I was at the time I was having a lot more complications post-surgery than any of us would have expected. I went from a pretty minor surgery, having a two week recovery time to a minimum of four months recovery. Like it was a pretty in-depth surgery. A lot more was wrong than they thought. And um, we were just discussing it. And at that time the Olympics were postponed or anything yet. So I was like, I have five months to get it together. And the time I'm supposed to be minute, like barely starting to be fully healed is a month before the trials. So it's not looking great for me right now. You know, like I'm not going to give up. I'm going to do everything I can, but it's not looking great. And I think I kind of came to like, maybe I'm not going to make the team like I thought, but I'm still going to give it like my all. And he, he said something to me that just like resonated and, and really made me feel amazing about my journey. He was like, you know what? no matter if you make the team or you don't make the team, you've left your like um, legacy on this sport. And I was like, Oh, like I haven't really thought about what my legacy is. He's like, Oh, I can tell you what your legacy is. And I was like, okay, please do. Cause what is it? And he's like, you, you are always that warrior. You're always the one who got knocked down every single time you stood up and you stood up better than you fell down. You know, you, you stood up higher than where you were before you fell down. And to me, that was just, it was so important. It just made me feel validated, like validated in everything I've, I've done in the sport. And to even like I had always thought in your sport to have a legacy you needed to be an Olympian or you needed to be that NBA all-star you needed to be the top of the top and to know that like I've been able to impact the youth by showing them like you may break some stuff get back up like you're going to be fine like you can keep going and to me that's I'm just so proud of that and like no matter what swimming accomplishments come after this it's just if I was able to show someone that you can get up after you've fallen down more times than you've ever wanted to like that's that's what's the most important to me i i mean you you should be making motivational tapes um <laughs> it, it, you're 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 so amazing and you don't even know it and, that, and that's what's what's so awesome about you um 
I, I will tell you this. I'll tell you a stupid little story. Um, my first interaction with a sports psychologist happened after something traumatic happened on a team that I was on. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of days later, the guy showed up, and, and when he addressed the team, um, one of the issues that we were dealing with at the time was, was a, uh, an athlete who had had a, a very emotional breakdown and had mm-hmm. felt that uh, his career was supposed to be so much further ahead than it was at the time. Mm-hmm. And the worry was that, that that sediment was going to trickle down to others and were others going to start feeling the same way? And, and, and it was, was it going to be something that this was going to turn into like a house of cards, right? Yeah. And one of the first things he said to us when we started sharing some of the things that we were worried about and we could understand and relate to what this guy had said and what he was going through is he said, how many of you remember all of the people that got cut from all the teams you tried out for? And we were like, what? So he went to like one guy and he said, do you know how many guys tried out for your position this year on the team? And he kind of just sat there and he laughed and tried to make a joke about it, right? With the guys, yeah. who is this guy? Who is this guy, right? And all of a sudden, you know, the statistician, not even the assistant coach, the statistician who happened to be on the bus while they were talking to us. So we didn't even know. It was a small little smurf of a guy. <laughs> he steps up and he turns around and he goes, there was 15 guys who tried out for that position. I'm like, holy fuck. Where did he come from, right? Yeah. But he talks? Yeah. Calculator stuff. And and you could see the uncomfort of my teammate who tried to make a joke out of this because he was so scared to be put in this position where he, he never thought about this before. And he said, Listen, I'm not I'm not blackballing you, I'm not pointing you out. I'm not trying to throw you under the bus here. The point I'm making is you made the team. There was 14 other guys, 15 other guys that didn't. And you have been training as an athlete for so long and in such a vigorous and a rigorous way that you've never actually stopped to kind of smell the roses of accomplishment because you're just not bred that way, right? Yeah. You just keep going, keep going, keep going. (laughs) That's what a thoroughbred does. Right? Thoroughbred does. You just keep going. You don't stop and think about the horses you passed. You don't think so much about the ones you beat. You might think of one or two that were really good and you're going to revel in that. But you don't really sit back and think of all of the rest. Right? And and at times, we don't even think about the, the power and the strength and the depth of the meaning of making the team because they recruited me. They came after me. They wanted me, right? So I don't even need to worry about that. You know, I, I heard this, this weird thing the other day um, where, where a fighter was quoted as saying, you know, winners focus on winning and losers focus on the winner. Right. Right? And, and, and it, it blew my mind as I, as I had heard this. Because I'm thinking, I, I know every slogan on every T-shirt right now, right? But I, I've never heard that one before. And I just throw that out there to you because I think built into all of that learning at a young age to fall down, get back up, fall down, get back up, never let them see you hurt, never let them see you tired, never let them see you hurting, right? 
I think that is such a gift. And I think as you're building that strength and as you're building that gift, you never ever really think of yourself as being seen by others as you're getting stronger, right? getting faster. Like you never stop to think, you know, those people watching you in the pool you are saying things like, holy shit, she's so much faster than she was a year ago. Or, oh my God, look how much stronger she is. Like, you don't think like that. Like, you, you don't let your mind go that way. And then when you, yeah. you, you experience it, it can be like, oh my God. So, so my question to you is, do you have a moment in all of your amazing moments you've accumulated over the years where you said, oh my God, I might be pretty good at this. Yeah, I think it was at 2016 Olympic trials. It, it was interesting. I um, like going into the meet, no one thought I had a shot, you know, and, and in my head, I was like, I'm going to make this team. Like I've got a good shot. Like I was hundred percent believing in myself. Um, went in seated like third after semifinals into finals and top two make it. I was like, I just got to beat one more person. Like, let's go. And um, before I left my hotel room, I, it was the first time I've ever done something like this. And in the past, it'd be something I'd be like, oh, it's so cheesy. Like, no one actually does that. But I, like, looked in the mirror and I was like, all right, you're going to become an Olympian. And I walked out the door and went straight to the pool. And I was just so confident in myself. And, like, I didn't care what anyone thought. I didn't care that no one else in that arena besides maybe my family thought I was going to make that team. And myself, you know, I I just went out there and, you know, I, I barely missed the team. And that sucked more than anything I've ever been through like more than any injury barely missing an Olympic team by eight one hundredths of a second is far worse and I just like wasn't able to at that time realize how good of a meet it was until a couple years later where I like fully was able to process it digest it understand it and come to terms with that wasn't a failure like I went out there and I was third in the United States of America in my event and I would have been in the final at the Olympic games if they took three people, you know, like my times would, I would have been up there with those girls, you know, and I think it's an interesting dynamic in the United States because U S trials is almost faster than the Olympics um, because the United States breeds such great swimmers. You know, it's like the depth of swimming, like all stars in the United States is like unparalleled to maybe anywhere, but maybe Australia, maybe Canada, but it's definitely like us. And then, um, and it's just, it's a really stressful and hard meet. But I think when I came out of that, I was like, you know what? Like, I went in believing in myself and, you know, I didn't make it. But I was so, I was almost more proud of the fact that I was like gung-ho on the fact that I was going to make that team. Like, and to be able to look back and have no doubts on the fact that I gave it my all and I believed in myself at that time. I think that for me was that moment where I was like, you know what? Like, I've like made it, you know, I've, I've came and I've gave it everything I had. and I, barely missed the team and that sucks like didn't have it that day that time that I needed it but you know I I know how close I was and now let's see how close I can get in 2021 20, now yeah. yeah you know not to sound like a complete cheese ball right now <laughs> but I know that that like 95 percent of the country is is watching every Sunday night um because Game of Thrones is not anymore um this little documentary on this little pretty okay team in the 90s called the Chicago Bulls. Um, yeah, something like The Last Dance or something like that. Yeah, I mean, like, the <laughs> episode, yeah. 
But but what you're talking about now, and again, I, I could be trying to make a sweater out of a piece of lint right now, but in my little brain, the way that I'm calculating it is you're describing that 2016 Olympic trial kind of like what we've been hearing again and again, week after week now, about what those guys in the bowls had to go through in terms of coming so close and losing, getting beaten up for years, to know what it takes to be the champ, right? Yeah. You know, like in, in fighting, they say, in order to be the man, you got to beat the man, right? And, and you know, to walk the talk to talk, you got to walk the walk, right? And, and there's a lot to be said about the skill of developing the skills to be the woman, to, to beating the rest and to beating the champ. Right? And a lot of team sports, I, I, I talk to teams about the skill of being able to finish a game. Right? You're up by two points, ten points, whatever it may be. Do you have the skill to follow through and win? Right? Right. And I think for you, these tough shots that you've taken, those are going to be building the skill to finish. They're going to be building the resiliency to say it ain't over till I actually plow through the wall. <laughs> Never mind, touch the stop gate. I'm going right through the concrete, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I, that, that's how I think it's going to work in your favor. I really do. I mean, and I, I don't know if that resonates with you, but but I, to me, yeah, definitely, it's a skill. It's a it's a heavy duty yeah. skill. So mm -hmm. so let me let me ask you this. One of the things that we always ask our, our elite athletes that we talk to is we ask them to to maybe if they can. Share with us a little something about what they do to get their headset to go and compete. So I'm just curious if we were to, to, to look into your brain, the massive brain that it is, <laughs> do you have any rituals? Do you have anything that you do that helps you get from point A to point Z? Yeah, I mean, I think when I get to the meet, I'm very adamant on like, like doing the physical stuff that I need to do until pretty much I'm in the ready room. So physical stuff, that being like rolling out, getting my heart rate up outside of the water, then getting in the water, you know, then just kind of staying loose, staying warm. And that's just kind of all, in my opinion, like all physical. And then once I'm in that ready room, walking out to the, and then walking out to the race, like that's all mental. Like there's nothing more physical I can do at that moment. That would help me be better in that race. And I think in the ready room, I'm just like, I'm very big on not listening to music. A lot of swimmers are like have the big headphones on like Phelps always had listening to music, getting in the zone. And for me, my zone is like feeding off the energy of the crowd, like kind of feeding off the energy in the room. Like, Oh, these girls are nervous. Like, let's go. Like I'm nervous and trying to like you, I'm always nervous before a race, but trying to like transform those nerves into like positive energy and not nerves that I'm self doubting, like always making sure in that ready room and as I'm walking out I'm just like you've got this like let's go you've done the work be confident in yourself go like everything I'm saying needs to be positive if I'm saying any negative stuff before I even get to the block I shouldn't even go to the block so like in my head it all has to be positive self-talk and I get to the block like once you take your clothes off still has the suit on but once you're like taking off all the warm clothes like I, I look at the pool and like if it's a long course pool and I'm doing a hunter back, I'll like look up, look down. That's two laps. I'm like, I can do two laps. That's two laps. I do so many more laps in this. Like, let's go. It's two laps. This is an easy day. 
So kind of just in my head, making it like building myself up, hyping myself up and then being like, this isn't that bad. You've got it. And kind of just taking it in little chunks. That's pretty much what's running through my head. And um, by the time like the whistle's blowing for us to get in the pool, like I'm not thinking about anything besides like, let's go, let's go, let's go. So I think I'm a little different than most swimmers in that way. Like I like to be in that atmosphere instead of like shut myself out of it. Well, one of the things that, that, that I love hearing you say when you describe the, your ritual, your routine, is you do a combination of, of self-talk and visualization. And you're mm-hmm. looking at that pool and you're saying, this is nothing, I've been here, I've done this before. And like, I, I can see myself just doing two laps, it's going to be nothing, I'm just going to crush this. Yeah. And it's funny, the music thing that you bring up, and I'll tell you a stupid story about my, myself. Um, when I got into my first year of, of college and playing, playing Division One sports, I hit a wall pretty quick. And, and my wall that I hit was, I, I never knew exactly what was working for me or what worked for me. So I was literally at the age of like 23, 24, trying to apply things that worked out when I was 15. And, and I literally sat down with our sports side guy and he said to me, you know, I want you to tell me what your pregame routine is like. And back then, we didn't have the sports science that we have now. I wasn't into eating before a game. I wasn't all that into hydrating. I thought all that stuff made me feel heavy and then made me feel slow. But what I did share with him, and I believed in, is that, you know, if the game is at, at 2 and I had to be there by noon, well, I'm up at 8, and I'm listening to ACDC at 8. Yeah. It's like thunderstruck me. Like, I wish I could show you right now in my office here. I actually have a poster, and, and I will take a picture and send it to you. It's like the ultimate ACDC poster of all time. It's, it's framed, and you won't believe it until I, I send you this picture. But anyhow, what happened is I would get to the game, get suited up, get ready to go there and play. I start feeling lethargic. Yeah, I, I know that feeling, yeah. <laughs> And then I'd get out there, and warm was 20 minutes long, and I'd last maybe 3.25 minutes, and I'm like, I need a nap. <laughs> like, I, I, how do these guys have so much energy, right? Like, what's going on? So, so literally at first, if they thought, you know, that I contract a virus, um, is there something going on with me, and I can blood test and, and whatnot, maybe he's lacking iron, B12 shot maybe, right? And this guy sat me down and he's like, tell me what your routine is. And, and I started explaining it. And, and, and he's like, dude, you're a disaster. Yeah, that's a lot of energy. Like, Do you know that emotionally you have played three games before you started your one? Yeah. What? Uh-huh. Right? And the little ape was like, I had no idea. Right? I had no idea. But it, it, it's, it's so amazing hearing you talk and things you share. Um, I can't thank you enough for being so cool and coming and talking to me. Oh, no, thanks for having me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Now, I know that you're leaving to go train. You're going to, to AZ pretty soon. Um, and, and what's the course going to be like for you now? Because things have e- adjusted, yeah? So, so what's yeah. You know... Um, I'm still training, uh, as best as I can. I haven't been in the water for about a month and a half, which is a crazy thought to think that you're a year away from the Olympics and taking this much time out of the pool, but I'm headed back to AZ, hopefully 
can find better luck finding pools in someone's backyard there that I can train out of for a while. But it's just, you know, taking it day by day with everything in the world happening right now, you can't really make plans because everything shifted in two hours, it feels, you know, so um, doing the best I can every day. And I think the most important thing during this time is that I've learned that I need to be like nicer to myself during this time. And the, in the sense that I can get so wound up in the fact that, oh, these people have access to a pool and they still get to be in the pool. I don't have a pool. I need to be doing so much outside of the water right now. Like I need to be like working out for basically 13 out of the 24 hours to even like come close to doing what I was, you know, and just, and kind of taking a step back from that and doing what I can every day to stay in shape. And, but taking this time to kind of like reset because an Olympic training year is so stressful and like um just so demanding that this time right now i'm kind of using it as a step back recharge time to be able to hit next year with everything i have and not be drained by the time we even start it so um yeah it's kind of hard to say i mean right now tentatively trials are 2021 in june and the olympics are july august 2021 so hopefully that's where i'll be but you know um i'll definitely be at trials whether or not I make the team, who knows at this point, but I think I will probably have the end of my swimming career um, next summer. So I'm just, I'm personally excited to just be thankful every single day to go to practice and have the opportunity, especially with like everything right now, having have like not had the ability to be in the water. So just taking every opportunity that I have to be in the water as like a grateful experience and just really soaking in like, why I fell in love with the sport as a little girl and just giving it all I have and like kind of honoring myself in the sport and honoring everyone who's like helped me get to where I am. And just, I found out that I swim much better when I'm a happier swimmer. So try to just like stay happy and healthy this next year. That's, that's where my plan is right now. And everything else is just kind of tentative because who knows. <laughs> so, so you, you, you totally suck right now because now what's in there <laughs> is uh, Pharrell, don't worry, be happy, right? There's, there's like, yeah. uh, you know, the happy song, right? So, uh, yeah, I'm going to have the happy song going on in my head all day long. Thanks, Chris. You're, you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> let me tell you this before I let you go. I know you're going to be amazing. I know it's going to work out great for you because you. your work ethic is incredible. You've got the heart of a lion, not Joe Exotic Tiger. And you. You, you, you have some of the characteristics naturally of every amazing athlete and that's humbleness and that's gratitude and and the best of the best if there's two things they all have besides you know their their facets intact um it's that they have those two elements the humbleness and gratitude and you're gonna crush it and when you do, I'm going to be dropping the mic going, I talked to her, I talked to her, she came on the headset podcast. So listen, um, I'm dying to stay in touch with you. I'm dying to hear more about you. And I'm dying for us to do this again as we get closer. So good. I, I, I've already got claims. Call the Stancy's no races. I got the Portugal Olympics. I got it. Call it. Can't change. Can't change. Can't change. Can't change it. Can't change it. You're the best. You're the best. Have a safe trip. And we're going to stay in touch. And I'm going to be bugging you the whole way. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye.